I'm going to draw your attention today quickly to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. As you know, we are dealing with this series, and we're going to continue this long series. As, we, as you know, we're dealing with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I have no idea of how long we're going to be addressing this, but I'm going to stay here until the Lord calls me to go someplace else. But my plan is to actually go through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7, deals with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Today we begin a new a new series, uh, our new section of the, of the passage. Matthew chapter 5, verse, beginning at verse 17, I will be reading through verse 26. Today I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I pray and as I read the passage, and then I will have you sit down. So please stand with me as we pray for the Word of God and read the Word. Today, Lord, we are indeed grateful for your presence, and we thank you for allowing us to be here. We thank you today for the privilege of sharing the Word of God. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Now, open our hearts to hear what you have to say. We'll be careful to give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God is doing some things today in this world where I am convinced that if God's word is preached, people will be saved. If his word is not preached, if people don't tell about what God is doing, there's going to be a decline or problem. But God is going to be honored and glorified. And so one of the things I want us to remember is that the way that people can only hear the word of God is by you telling them. They see it in your life, but you've got to let people know about what God is doing. So, want to share that. Let's turn, let's look at verse 17. Be reading from the NIV, 17 through 26. Matthew 5. And it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire, or the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not 
Get out until you have paid the last penny. You may be seated. I'm going to read one other passage, but you may be seated. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Verse 15. And just because I need to, I won't wait till you get there. It's just one verse, and it says this. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. The subtitle, good, good morning, Brother Rondell. We just were talking about you. Oh, man, we just, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, to call your name out. But how are you doing, bro? Good, all right. <laughs> she, was, she didn't say that. <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, the great contraster. Jesus, as a subtitle, the great contraster. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was one, of, was one that raised eyebrows. It caused questions to be raised in the minds of the people. And yet Jesus would not back down when he gave his word. He didn't say, oh, I'm sorry for offending you. Jesus was in the habit of telling the word whether it offended people or not. There are some people who have a problem with truth. They want you to speak niceties. They want you to say things that um, are pleasant. Don't say anything that makes me upset. But Jesus was one to tell the truth whether you liked it or not. Beginning with verse 21, Jesus will take six Old Testament commandments or laws and give them a new or, ex- or an expounded meaning. He will expound on them in ways that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had not done before. You see, there is what is called the letter of the law that people at times will try to follow, but they were missing the bigger picture. They were missing the meaning of what God was saying. You see, there's a narrow way that people may look at things, but it may have broader implications. The Pharisees and the religious leaders would try to literally obey the word of God, which we are to do. But then they would say other parts of the law is not that important to carry out. And so in Jesus' sermon here, he deals with this issue. They would basically say that don't kill your brother, but it's okay if you're so angry that you want to kill him. That doesn't make a difference. It's okay if you got the I can't help it on occasion. Jesus says that sin is sin. The word raka, and I'll just say this now, it basically means empty. That word raka that we read, it means empty. And I'll throw out another word, the word fool. Now, the Bible uses the word fool in Ephesians. And and when you look at the context, it doesn't always mean that you can't use the word, but it is the context. And when Jesus says here, the word fool, he was saying that one should not use this word in such an angry way that when they call a person a fool, they're calling them, and what we call, we get from that word a transliteration, means moron. That's what the transliteration of the English is. It was calling a person, you moron, and Christ is saying that you are not to call people 
a fool. And so when we look at Jesus, as we go through these passages, we hope today to open your understanding to some things that maybe you have not seen in just maybe the same way before. Point one, as we'll be dealing with, and under that I'll be dealing with several things, Jesus' purpose for coming to earth states it right in verse 17. His purpose. Many people have various reasons that they believe why Jesus came. They say that he came to do all types of things, but Jesus says that I came to fulfill the law. I am so tired of people saying that you don't have to obey the word of God. Jesus understands my heart. He understands my intentions. And so I believe that when I stand before God, he'll understand because he knows what I'm trying to do. Well, you go on down the street trying to do the speed limit, and you say that I'm trying to get down to 70 from 90. Going down the road, and if you see a red light behind you, go in then and just try to stop. And, and if you decide within the next 20 miles you just can't stop, you may see a few extra lights coming behind you. And, the, and some voices may be saying, pull over now. And you said, I'm trying, I'm trying to stop. You got your hand out the window saying, I'm trying, I'm trying. When you finally stop, you will have guns drawn on you. You may be thrown to the ground, and they may ask you, why didn't you stop? You say, my foot just wouldn't come off the pedal. There's some things that you may try to do. It's not good enough. There's some things that you just need to do. And God says you must obey my word. When we think about what Christ came, why he came, he came to fulfill the law. And he expects us to do our part in living for him. Now, you can't live for Jesus without him being in your life. I don't care how hard you might try. If Jesus is not residing on the inside, you can't be saved. You can't. You know, they say the road to hell has been, what, paved with good intentions. But you have to do what the Lord says you are supposed to do. The great divide between the religious leaders and Jesus will become greater and greater as Jesus taught the word and spoke against the very ones that had been teaching the people. And as he fulfilled the very scriptures that they did not understand, they would change the word of God to suit their own needs. And as Jesus is teaching his disciples and the people upon the mountain, he tells them that I came to fulfill the law. Now back at this time, the people couldn't read. They were dependent upon the priests and the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees to teach them the word of God. And not only were they to teach them, and they, were, they had to be dependent upon that, they also were dependent upon them for the interpretation. And so when the religious leaders were teaching the people and telling them, they had to then listen intently, and they had to recognize that what they're telling me is it true, is it not? But, but they couldn't search the scriptures. And so what the religious leaders told them, they said, this is the truth. But Jesus comes along. And he said something that's 
that made them begin to think and to say, he's telling us that we're not supposed to be like the very ones that's teaching us. If anybody is righteous, it's got to be the Pharisees. It must be the scribes. It must be the very ones that, the ones that are teaching us the word of God. And yet Jesus had his greatest battles with the very scribes and the ones who were teaching his law. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The word Pentateuch, Pentateuch is the first five books in the Bible. Can anyone name the first five books in the Bible? It's called the Pentateuch. It, it was what the religious leaders would look to. They are also called the writings of Moses. The, the first five books, but Pente means five. The Pentateuch. Remember Pentecost. The word Pentecost, you know, that means 50, right? We, 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 we've dealt with that before. So when we think of the word Pente, we think of five, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. When Jesus says that I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets, Jesus was telling them that all of those scriptures, everything that the prophets wrote about, they were speaking about him. You see, the religious leaders, as you note in the three years of Jesus' ministry, were always questioning his authority. They were always saying, where do you come from? Where does this man get this teaching? Where does he get this authority? And the people even said, he doesn't teach like the Pharisees. He teaches as one that has authority. So that when he says something, there's something behind it. And Jesus coming to earth, the law had to be fulfilled in this very act alone. Get this. That when Jesus Christ came to earth, just that act alone had to fulfill Scripture. His coming to earth fulfilled Scripture. Everything that Jesus did, everything the Old Testament taught about, everything in the New Testament, all points to Jesus. It makes no difference what you think about Jesus. He's an authority all to himself. When we look at the word of God and we tell people say, I, I'm not a, I'm not an Old Testament uh, I'm saying I'm a New Testament Christian. I, I, I don't even look at the Old Testament. I only look at the New. We are no oh, hallelujah. <laughs> you can't get to the New. Without the old. That's like some young people today, you know, they, they, I told y'all this, maybe I told y'all this, I don't, I'll tell some story, I don't remember if I told y'all or not, but I, told, I was seeing this family in the office, and this little kid, I may have told you, came into my office, had his little handheld device, looks four years old. You got Wi-Fi? <laughs> and I looked at his mother, she kind of looked at me, mm-hmm. What's the password? <laughs> he, he don't know nothing about the old days. They grow up today with computers, sleep with computers. 
I remember the time when I was in school, I was typing on a manual, typewriter. If you didn't strike the keys hard enough, it didn't make an indelible impression. When you needed to correct, I didn't just hit the backspace. I had to get some white out and raise the paper up and use and put it back down in the, in the, car- car- in the carriage and position it and straighten it and type the letter again. Don't leave out no line if you type in the paper. You would find a way to squeeze it in there. I learned to type on a typewriter that didn't have the letters on the keys. Today, kids don't know nothing about that. Running around with phones and everything. They don't even know. Just give me a phone off that tree. I need a phone. Who pays for it? I don't know. Just give me. I just got a phone. <laughs> Some people said they got an Obama phone. I don't know. But today when we think about the new You can't get to the new unless you have the old. Christ says, I came to fulfill all of the law. Everything that Moses had been saying, everything that Isaiah and the prophets had been saying, I came to fulfill the law. Verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth pass away in some passages and disappear, not the smallest letter, not the... The, the jot or tittle in some Bibles, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you see in the Bible there's passages that says, I tell you the truth, or verily, verily, that word, those words are literally translated into amen. Now, isn't it interesting that when Jesus is speaking, he says amen, and then he states what it is he's saying. You see, when we say something, we as preachers or somebody says something, people say amen at the end of the statement in order to say, I am in agreement with you or so let it be. But Jesus says, truly, truly I say unto you, amen, and then he goes on. He puts it at the beginning because he's the authority that can back up what he says at the very beginning. He reverses the order. Truly, truly, I say to you. So when the people said, this man speaks with authority, we can see it even in the words that he says, verily, verily, I say unto you. And so in 18, he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest, not the smallest letter. Now, the the people couldn't read. What is Jesus referencing here? Heaven and earth is not going to disappear. There's nothing that can disappear until the whole word of God is fulfilled. When we look at this passage, Jesus is saying, in the Hebrew language, there are letters. That little accent mark distinguishes a word or letter from another, those that may look very similar. That little stroke, Jesus says, is so important that even that has to be fulfilled in Scripture. The little stroke of a pen. So an example for you would be when you dot that I, even that, the Lord says, has to be fulfilled. Not even the least stroke of a pen will be demolished or will not be fulfilled. It has to be fulfilled. 
And so when Jesus says this, he says that heaven and earth, look at it here, it says, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything the Bible says is accomplished. So if Jesus came to earth to complete the word and to fill up everything that the scripture says, then everything that he did had to be according to scripture. So when a person tells you that it's only this amount of sin, it's only this little one, Jesus shouldn't be so upset, you now understand that when he talks about the importance of even a small little dot is important in the word of God. Every part of it has to be fulfilled. You see, the religious leaders were telling the people, and they were choosing and picking those things that could be obeyed. And then they were even adding, as a scripture, their own traditions on top of it. And if there was a conflict between the Word of God and what they taught, they said, you can do away with the Word of God. You've got to pay attention to our traditions. And Jesus comes against that and speaks against that. When people choose to minimize sin by saying that it wasn't that bad, or look at what they did, (laughs) Jesus says, that won't pass the test. Verse 19, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. As I said, the teachers of the law were the ones in very, they were the ones in conflict with Jesus' ministry. They were breaking the law and they were teaching others to break the law as well. And so when Jesus is teaching, he's going to be contrasting when we look, when we look at this, his ministry and what he says with others. You see, when a person says something, there oftentimes needs to be an authority behind it. So if you go to somebody and they said, would you go in my place and represent? There are times when a person is called an ambassador and they have all of the power that the person that they're representing has in a sense because they are acting on that person's behalf. So when they go to uh, a meeting, they go, they say, I have the authority to act on this person's behalf. I have the authority to speak for them. And so what I say actually for them, it goes so you can write that down. But what Jesus does, what he says, he says something, and then he's able to back it up with his own word. He doesn't have to say, they said it. He says, this is what I say. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Verse 19, anyone breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great. You see, one of the things that was really interesting when you look at this, when I was reading this, I also think, well, wait a minute. People called least in the kingdom of God? What does that mean? It's not that these people are going to be going to heaven that's teaching that which is wrong. What he is saying is that there's conversation that's going on in heaven. And the conversations about those that are are teaching and breaking the law Jesus is saying they're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But those who proclaim the word of God, they're going to be called great. 
The conversation that's happening right now in heaven about you, what's being said? When there's a conversation in heaven, what's being said about you? Are you being called, are you being called great in the kingdom of heaven? Are you, be called, are you being called the least? <laughs> what are you being called in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this was a shock to the people. Because why? They thought that anybody that's going to heaven are the religious leaders. Anybody that's going to heaven, anybody that I know are the very people way up there that I look to. Now, I'm going to heaven. I'm just letting y'all know I know. I'm I'm going to heaven because the Lord has saved me. He's called me. He's filled me. And he's allowed me to believe. I, I trust the Lord. He's washed my sins away. I'm going to heaven. So I'm saying, you can follow my lead. You can follow me, right? Because I'm going to heaven. Now get this. They had people following the leaders who were not following Jesus or following what Jesus says. And Jesus says, unless the ones that are teaching you, unless your righteousness surpasses the ones that are teaching you, you're not going to heaven. And that shook them up. They said, wait a minute. In their minds. If they're not being saved, how in the world am I going to be saved? How in the world can I be made right? And so it calls into this, this contrast what Jesus is saying and what the religious leaders are saying. Can you imagine if there were re- religious leaders on that mountain? What must have been going through their mind? Could you imagine what they may have been, must have been thinking? Even what the disciples were. And even remember, even the disciples didn't fully know or recognize who Jesus was and his power and all that he had until after he died and rose again. Jesus said to them one day, are you still so dull? He, he asked them the question when, they were, were, when, he, when he was trying to get something through. But they didn't quite get it until after he left. And then when the Holy Spirit came in and empowered them to carry it out, they finally got it. Today, when we think about all that Christ does, you have to have the Spirit of the Lord in you. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. In other words, it's not about trying to just keep the letter of the law, he was saying. The implications are broader, which we look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said. This begins the six laws or the six commandments that Jesus begins to expound on. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now that's the sixth commandment of the ten. Remember, thou shalt not what? Commit murder. So Jesus is referencing one of the ten commandments. You've heard that. And then he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, Jesus does something quite interesting here. Because the religious leader was saying, your anger doesn't make a difference. But Jesus says, what normally leads to murder is the fact that a person is really angry. He says, your thinking makes a difference in the kingdom of God. 
Your thinking begins to pave the way. What the religious leaders are saying is that it's only the action that's important. Now, also note this. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. You've, you've heard this. But then he says, but this is what I'm telling you. You see, the person that says, this is what I'm telling you, has to have authority. And so when the people are, see, are hearing this, Jesus says, but I say. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that before, but Jesus is telling them that I don't take my authority or my direction from the religious leaders. He's telling them that your, your righteousness has to surpass them. I'm raising the meaning of this word to you. Murder. You thought it was only the act, but it's in also your mind. But I tell you that anyone who's angry will be subject to judgment. Then he says again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. What was the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin was made up of the different religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And the person who presided over the Sanhedrin was the high priest. When we think of the Supreme Court today, as I mentioned, the Sanhedrin would be like the equivalent in that day to our high court, Supreme Court. So the the Sanhedrin was made up of 71 members. And they would sit in in this positioning based on their rank and with the high priest sitting up in the front. And they would rule. And so when you think of the Sanhedrin, it was the legal entity in place at that time in the land of Palestine and Jerusalem. He says, the person who says this, they're answerable to the Sanhedrin, to them. That's temporary. That's the earth side. But Jesus says, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell, will be in danger of having to face God. You see, we need to recognize that the religious leaders weren't telling people that you really got to worry about judgment regarding the way you live here. But God says, Jesus is saying here in this place, is all that you do, remember, is before the Lord. And you have to give account one day before him. Even when you think about what the religious leaders were teaching, they were so into their tradition and their rules. See, they learned, they loved the facts. They went through the Old Testament and they counted up. There are 600 And 13 laws, 613 laws. And out of that 613, you've got the Ten Commandments. And so they would say, this is really important. But Jesus is saying, it's not just about keeping the law. It's about making right application. And so one of the things that we've got to recognize and realize is that we must make right application. I'll be done in just a moment for today. Verse 23 Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now Jesus is talking about sacrifices. Do you not know that worship, Jesus is saying, is not more important than being reconciled to your brother first? He's saying that if you are offering a sacrifice, and something comes to your mind that your brother has something against you, he says, stop what you're doing and first go be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer your sacrifice. So when you say, oh, I got to go get my worship on, 
I don't care. I'm upset. I don't. The Pharisees would say, that don't make that much difference. Don't worry about that. Jesus says, get it right with your brother. Now, you're not responsible for what they do. You're not responsible for how they respond. But you have an obligation. And so the Bible says for your brother first, go get it right and then come back. Give me two minutes and I'll be done for today. Verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. One of the things that he is saying is that it makes a lot of sense to have settlement conferences. I'll just say that today for us. Because once you're, once you're in court, things change completely. The Lord says, get things straight here. Try to get things in your business straight here. Try to make sure you're taking care of everything that you need to do here on this side before it gets there. When we look at the Lord Jesus Christ teaching these people on the mount, You've got to imagine their heads were swirling. Their heads were spinning. They had to recognize that we have a responsibility as well as everybody else, as well as the religious leaders. We've got a responsibility to do things that God says to do. You see, there are some people who think, let everybody else do it. This is not my responsibility. Let somebody else do it. Do you not know that everybody has a calling? Do you not know that the preacher can't do everything? Do you not know the deacons can't do everything? Do you not know that Jesus called those in the, in the pews? Do you not know that the primary job of the pastor and the leader is to equip so that the flock go do the work? Your day doesn't end Sunday afternoon. That's when your day begins. Well, I got the word today. Now, what am I going to do about it? And so you must take that word. And carry it out. And so when Jesus teaching the people, he is teaching them something that they're going to have to now live out the rest of their lives. And it's going to be a work, that's a work in their lives that's going to be a transforming work. Bow your heads. When you think about today, your life, and you think about what you may be holding, whether someone, whether even yourself, what, whatever it may be, are you one that's saying, well, I didn't do this. I, I'm okay because I'm not doing that. Are we making light of sin? When we look at the word of the word of God and the law that God has given us, the Lord says that it is broad. The application has to be a part of all in the entire life, our, our total being. It's not just what you do, it's how we think, how we go about it. How we handle with the word of God. What our thinking process is. What do you need to get right with the Lord today? What have you been making excuses for in your own life today? What's running through your mind that you know you've got to clean up? Lord, in this place today, we are praying that the word of God will penetrate. And not only that, it will just penetrate, 
but it will lead to the actions that we need to take to go get things right that when we think that we're doing okay, that we will reevaluate our lives. And remember that Christ raises the standard that is not only about the letter of the law. Intentions are weighed. Motivation is weighed. That when you came to fulfill the law, Lord, you came to fulfill all of the law. And so today we pray that you will help us to be such a group of people that will long to do everything that you've called us to do. Where we struggle today, give us wisdom. Give us help to be overcomers. Give us victory over sin today. And we pray that you will help us to recognize and to remember and to know that it's the Lord who sets us free. You set us free, Lord, from the penalty of death, and you have given us life. We pray that we will live fully to the glory of God. We love you today. We give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.